Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to The Rise and Fall of the Gospel Coalition, Chapter 2. The, where did those charges come from? Do you know? I mean, No, they're unnamed. That's part of the really? problem. Good. Right. So unnamed sources have, have, uh, are presenting these things, right. which should make everybody take a pause. I believe Jesus would teach us to take the vaccine as a part of God's gift to humanity. about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. And you're wondering why multi-ethnicity isn't happening at your church? It's because you have a person that's black on the outside, but angloid on the inside. Welcome back to the show. Before I begin, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you to everybody who listened to the first episode and shared it, enjoyed it, all of that kind of thing. It has already become my most listened to podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. And the feedback that I've been getting has been uh, wonderful to read through. So thank you again so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I am looking forward to continuing this podcast today. Today, we're going to start to look at some of the functional kind of rules of how Big Eva, how Gospel Coalition, how they function day to day, how they operate. If you remember in the last chapter, I said that there's sort of an unwritten set of rules, a code of conduct that the Guild operates by. It's not written down anywhere. It's not codified, but it is zealously followed. It is strictly enforced, and I want to start talking a little bit about this code today one of the key factors of this code that I think you, know, you need to keep in mind is that it is, its foundation is partiality. It is completely partial. There is an in-group and an out-group. And if you're in the in-group, you can operate by a certain set of rules, and you, you know, you've got a certain code of conduct for other people that are in the guild as well. You know, Someone who writes for Gospel Coalition, they get treated a certain way by other people who write for Gospel Coalition, and that's, that's one set of rules. And then there's a completely separate set of rules of engagement when it comes to people that are outside of the guild. It's totally partial. Like you get, you treat certain people a certain way, and other people, they're not in the club. They get treated completely differently. It's totally imbalanced. It's totally immoral. And this is on display every single day. All you need to do is read Big Eva articles, see what they write about, see what they don't write about, see how they write about things. It's on display there. It's in their tweets, on their social media. You can see how they handle certain situations versus other situations. It's just completely partial. There's, a, there's a, a two sets of rules of engagement when it comes to that. Even their books, in, in many respects, uh, betray this, this kind of partiality in how they engage with ideas and issues and things of that nature. It's 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 completely crazy. I mean, I, I me and my wife used to listen to uh, or we used to watch that uh, that show about the Scientology cult. And they used to have this thing where, you know, if you left the cult or if you started talking against the cult, that you were fair game all of a sudden. This is a cult tactic. Right. And that's kind of how it is in Big Eva as well. You can certainly see people who are in and people who are out based on on, you know, who they treat as, you know, quote unquote, fair game, that kind of thing. I believe that this kind of bifurcated set of rules, this is one of the primary features, one of the primary weapons that Big Eva and Gospel Coalition is using as they try to manage the current decline. I think it's just that simple. But what's ironic about it is that this set of rules also is the reason for this decline. It makes it so that it's impossible for Big Eva or Gospel Coalition to self-correct. This is a huge problem because if you're not able to sort of directly confront uh, people in your own ranks who are doing wrong or, or teaching wrong or things like that, if you've got a kind of an unwritten set of rules that prevents you from doing that, there's no way to right the ship. There's no way to right the ship. It will continue on a da- dangerous path because you've, by, by, by your own rules, by the way you treat your own uh, people— You've actually taken off correction off the table completely. 
And so I want to talk a little bit more about that today. There's a few different ways that this kind of partiality in how um, Big Eva deals with, uh, with people there's a few different ways that it manifests. There's one way in particular that I think is interesting is, is the no-show, no-call tactic, right? The no-show, no-call tactic. This is something that is, is, is used on outsiders, right? Outsiders, people who are not in the guild, so to speak. They um, oftentimes are simply ignored as if they don't even exist. And it's, it's very interesting because I've heard this story dozens and dozens of times by now where you know something happens you know, there's like a, a woke panel that happens or a woke sermon that's preached or somebody shares something completely woke on Facebook and you know it's completely out of character f- based on what the people know of of the leader of the evangelical leader and so they will reach out to them and say hey you know you you said that this is racist and I'm just kind of interested like where'd you get that from like how does this match up with what it says in the bible here and things like that and they'll reach out in numerous different ways sometimes it's an email sometimes just like a text message sometimes it's a phone call or request for a meeting and the response is simply silence nothing they're just completely ignored now i don't know why this happens i i mean i have some ideas but but i don't want to speculate right this moment this this happens all the time. And, you know, if, if, if you've experienced that, I definitely want to hear from you where you, you reach out to someone that you used to know and you used to be friends with and you ask them about, hey, why are you saying this all of a sudden? How does this match up with the Bible? And you get crickets. This happened to me. I, you know, I, I mentioned in the last episode that um, I did an internship with, uh, with Jared C. Wilson and I wrote for the For the Church blog and things of that nature. And uh, then one day, you know, I got my, my articles were disappeared. And, and I said in the last episode that I don't know exactly why it, 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 that is or exactly what I did that was so offensive. Um, and, and that's true. I, I don't know exactly why. I have some ideas and I have some general reasons as to why, but I don't know exactly why. And the reason I don't know is because I've been given this silent treatment. Now, I haven't been totally stonewalled, but I have not had one conversation with Jared about what it exactly it was that I did wrong. I've exchanged a few emails and things like that, and, and that's for sure, um, but I've never actually had a video call, a phone call, where we can kind of go back and forth and hear each other's tone and solve the issue. Like, like that's something that's never happened, and not for lack of trying. I've tried many, many times, I would say over 10 times, to have conversations. I've, 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 I've requested conversations myself. I've requested conversations through third parties. I've said, hey, look, you know, if you think we need a mediator, let's get a mediator and things like that. And I've been stonewalled every time. We've not had one conversation about the issue. And that's a big problem because there's no way to have iron sharp iron. There's no way to, to have reconciliation if there will be no conversations. And, you know, brothers, when I say that I've tried every which way, I've tried every which way. I've tried the angry way. I've tried the hat and hands way. I've tried the calm way. I've tried the third party way. I've tried, hey, why don't we get your pastor to mediate this call? That way, it's kind of to your advantage and stuff like that. I've tried every which way, and I've been stonewalled. Silence. Now, I would never have brought this up uh, publicly, except, be- except for the fact that this is a common occurrence. I'm not in the guild, and other people who are not in the guild have had this same tactic used against them. No conversations, no contact, no show, no call. And this is a huge problem when it comes to self-correction. Because you, if you can't even have a conversation then how can you even consider the fact that maybe you're wrong? Maybe things aren't the way you think they are. And that's a huge problem. And so this, this tactic of, of no show, no call, silent treatment for anybody that's not in the guild, this is one of the reasons why Gospel Coalition and Big Eva is in decline. It's not the biggest one, though, and I want to move on to the biggest one. This, this, this is something that people have called the 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment, you know, in Christian circles, it was first, you know, applied to the Southern Baptist Convention. The 11th commandment is basically, thou shalt not speak ill 
of a fellow Southern Baptist. This started off with Republicans, I think. You shall not speak ill of a fellow Republican. But actually, and then in Christian circles, it became applied to Southern Baptists. But I'd actually like to amend this rule a little bit. It's really not so much about Southern Baptists. Because if you look at Southern Baptist life, yeah, sure, oftentimes Southern Baptists don't criticize other Southern Baptists, but sometimes they do. I think of Tom Askell, I think of Tom Buck, I think of uh, some of these guys that are definitely fair game in Southern Baptist circles. They're Southern Baptists, all right, but anyone can write a hit piece about them at any time, and that's not a problem. So the 11th Commandment really isn't so much about Southern Baptists, but it is very much about the Big Eva Gospel Coalition Guild. Look, if you're a Gospel Coalition guy, you do not speak ill of another Gospel Coalition guy. It's just that simple. You are not fair game if you're in that guild. You're in that club. But if you're not in that club, that's when you're fair game. And so the 11th commandment is really a, a, um, a method for really kind of insulating everyone in the guild from from criticism from each other. And again, I, I, I just can't help but see this as a it's a it's a way to 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 never ever be able to correct yourself. You, you know, if if people within your club, your own friends, won't criticize you because that's how the guild works. That those are the rules. They can't criticize you in a very direct way. How can you ever hope to see your blind spots? How can you ever hope to see your blind spots? You know, um, the, the biggest example I can think of of this 11th commandment being applied is the Ed Litton plagiarism scandal. Ed, Ed Litton got caught. Uh, he's the, the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, he got caught um, essentially making a habit of plagiarizing sermons, like word-for-word plagiarism of entire sermon series even. And caught red-handed. I mean, there's no mistaking what happened. Um, and, and, and hardly anybody told, would say anything negative about Ed Litton doing this. And the thing is, Ed Litton was caught and he also lied about it numerous times in numerous different ways. And the ways that he lied about it often contradicted other ways that he lied about it. And this was, this was a very tragic story. And yet no one in the guild had the guts to say anything negative about it. And, and that's a big problem because, you know, and we're, you know, we're going to talk about this in this episode. That's a big problem because, you know, if, 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 a, if a friend is not willing to, to publicly hold you to account to things that, that you've said publicly and, and things of that nature, I, I think that puts you in, in tremendous danger. So anyway, I, what I want to do today is I, I, I've decided to interview uh, Pastor Gabe Hughes. He actually was somewhat involved in how this whole scandal got exposed and things like that. And so we're going to interview him right now. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Pastor Gabe Hughes. All right. Well, I am being joined today by Gabe Hughes. Gabe Hughes is a pastor at First Baptist in Lindale, Texas. Gabe where in, where in Texas is Lindell? It is East Texas. So if you know where Tyler's at, Longview, um, you, know, you got a pretty general idea where Lindale is located. Now, there was a time where this was kind of a mecca of contemporary Christian music. Keith Green came out of here, Harvest, Dallas Home. Uh, Dallas is, in fact, a member of our church. And, uh, and there was uh, what uh, a youth with a, wish, uh, youth with a Mission, YWAM. That's still out of Lindale. So, uh, yeah, there's, uh, oh, and, uh, Leonard Ravenhill forgot about him. He also preached out of, uh, out of Lindale, Texas. So it's kind of interesting to be here with all of the, uh, Christian history that yeah. comes out of this little bitty town in East Texas. That that's great. I, I remember on a video once I said I was going to be in the Texas area and people laughed at me. They're like, do you know how big Texas is? And <laughs> you know, I, I, I live in new England, so no, I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just described about an eighth of the, of the country right there. All right. Well, well, Gabe was kind enough to join me. You know, we're going to talk about the situation um, a year or so ago regarding the uh, the plagiarism scandal um, with Ed Litton, who is the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's still the president, right? He is still the president. All yeah. he has said is that he's not going to run again. He did not actually right. resign. 
Right. He didn't resign. He's still the president, but he won't be next next time around. Um, but but Gabe did a, a really well done um, kind of like a timeline of all of the events surrounding this scandal, if that's what you want to call it. I call it a situation regarding Ed Litton and plagiarism. And it was really good, really orderly. And, you know, Gabe, I didn't even realize that when I read when I first read the timeline, I didn't realize that you were like, I don't want to say a central figure, but you were you were one of the, you were like the tip of the spear that that knocked over the first domino almost. Yeah, that was kind of interesting to be in on that. Uh, you know, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church is Tom Buck. A lot of you are probably familiar with Tom, and he tends to be on the front line of a, of a lot of those <laughs> Uh, breaking issues that happen in the Southern Baptist Convention. This all took place while he was on vacation. And uh, so when I'm holding down the fort here at the church, I end up uh, getting us into some trouble. <laughs> so you were like, I, I you took were like over the, for the troublemaker for Texas. Right, you were Texas. the second string troublemaker and you fulfilled your duty. That's quite right. Well. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. All right. Well, so so that's interesting. I'm going to link to that article um, in the description of this. But my first question for you, Gabe, is why did you feel like it was important to sort of write this down and to get it orderly and to get an account there that people could go to and see, you know, what happened with this scandal? Why was this so important? Well, like you said, I was kind of one of the first to break something on the plagiarism. I had uh, started out by tweeting that Ed Litton had essentially preached the same thing that J.D. Greer had preached from Romans chapter one, that the Bible whispers about sexual sin. So the same comment that Greer had made, Litton was preaching in a sermon as though, hey, we haven't learned anything in the uh, amount of time since it took Greer to say that and then it circulate all over the internet. Well, then there was a, a, a listener to my podcast who went and listened to the whole sermon that Ed Litton did from Romans one. And he went, wait a second, this is the same sermon. It's the same thing that J.D. Greer preached. So he spliced it together with Greer's comments and Litton's comments, and it was clear plagiarism. Sure. And he sent it to me and said, here, would you post this? And uh, and I asked his permission, you know, do you mind if I post the video? I talked to him about it much later after this thing became a bigger deal than we thought it was going to be. And I said, you know, I, I kind of felt bad when I shared your video because it suddenly occurred to me, you were telling me to rip your video off and put it on my channel and not play it from your channel. <laughs> and he said, yeah, that's okay, but it still got out there. Uh, he didn't want credit for it. He just wanted, sure. uh, you, you know, he was just the guy that kind of noticed uh, yeah. that this had taken place and left it up to me to put it out there. Yeah. And so once I did, you know, that was on a Friday or something like that. Then it blew up over the weekend. And then, yeah. you know, Litton's issuing statements now about what happened. The church is making contradictory statements, yeah. which are yeah. different than what Litton said. Uh, and for a while there, I really did not add fuel to the fire, except yeah. to except to say things like, um, you know, the, the church has since taken down over 100 sermons. They've either deleted or hidden those sermons to try to cover their tracks. And uh, and then that ended up in Newsweek. Um, uh, there were there were even secular media sources that were covering how big this had blown up in just a few days. And yeah. so I left it to kind of to other people to to do their own investigating. There were other people that started doing videos and splicing those things together and releasing them. And it turns out that this went back years, like something like eight or 10 years uh, mm -hmm. that Litton had been plagiarizing even sermons from Tim Keller. Uh, and so the yeah. uh, there was another guy that he had uh, listened to um, some stuff that I had put out on the podcast. And he wanted to write an article about it, but he was a lesser known guy, had a small church, but was very involved in Southern Baptist life. And he said, you know, how do we get our voices out there when we have such little influence? So he asked if he could write an article and I would post it on my blog. And so I did and shared his article about the plagiarism scandal. But I myself did not add anything else to it until stuff just kind of started to die down. But we still had not seen any real change happen in response to the fact that Ed Litton has clearly plagiarized and lied about it over and over and over again. And yeah. so I decided this, this thing has spanned several months now. Let me pull it all together in one concise place where you can see everything that's taken place since June. Yeah. And so I put that together in that article, which I published, I guess that was in December. That might've been the last thing that I, I put yeah. on my blog at the end of, uh, of 2021. Yeah. And you know, again, just to show that that really there was no legitimate change that had happened in the Southern Baptist Convention as a result of all of this. 
people were either running cover for Lytton or if they were saying, why hasn't something happened as a result of this? They were being gaslighted and and accused of things that, you know, being political or making a bigger deal out of it than it really was. Uh, And and the most heartbreaking thing really was to see how the seminaries responded to it, running cover for Lytton instead of, you know, basically saying, hey, if he had been part of our seminary, we would have revoked his doctorate. Which is exactly the course that uh, that would have taken place. Yeah. So, so Gabe, you know, when I first heard about it, I, you know, obviously I heard the same the same thing that everybody did about the, you know, the Bible whispering about sexual sin, you know, and I thought to myself, well, that's really dumb, you know, but I could see how someone might not, you know, attribute that to someone else. I could see someone thinking, like, like, like thinking, okay, well, this is I like this. This is kind of a snazzy little uh, way to say this. You know, I want to I want to soft pedal the sexual thing, too. So I can say it this way and maybe forgetting that he got it from somewhere else. I could see that. But you're so right that it was. And and that was the initial problem. Like people were like, oh, wow, he says the same dumb thing that J.D. Greer said. But then when you when you splice it together and you've realized that it's not just a turn of phrase, it is the entire sermon it yeah. is almost every turn of phrase. It's the whole structure of it. It's beyond the outline. It's just, you know, in many places, word for word. Um, and then it turned out to be the entire series. And just then it about turned out to every. Be, yeah, yes, it turned out to be the entire. It was, it was Romans, right? It was the series on Romans. Right. And so when you saw that and then um, and, and then it became, oh, wow, this is this is kind of this is kind of weird. And then, you know, to me and, and I'm going to ask you this question as well. To me, the craziest part was, you know, how the church, you know, started like taking down all the sermons. Like, like you said, like there's like almost a hundred sermons or more than a hundred sermons that they they deleted from their website, and they had various excuses as to why they did it. They contradicted each other, um, yeah. but just like, so how deep is is this, is this over a hundred sermons? Is this every sermon? Like nobody really knows. It's like. That, that's when I realized it was it was a big deal. What was the craziest part of the story, in your opinion, you know, it, it just out of everything that happened? <laughs> I think the craziest thing is is why it was so difficult for him to just say, look, you're right. I mean, I was preaching J.D. Greer's sermons. I liked his yeah. series on Romans. I decided I wanted to do it at my church. Yeah. So if you want to accuse me of plagiarism, yes, I plagiarized. I had asked J.D. Greer's per- permission it wasn't like I just stole it from him and Greer gave me permission. And, and you know, we have to take that story. Uh, we have to take their explanation for what it is. We can't accuse sure. Litton or, or, or Greer of just making that up. So sure. Litton had asked Greer's permission. Greer gave it to him and he preached the sermons that Greer preached. And how hard would it have been for Litton to just come out and say, yeah. you caught me? I mean, it's, it's clear. There <laughs> right. it is right there. I preached J.D. Greer's sermons. Please forgive me. I'm going to uh, I, I'm going to attempt to do you know a better job than I've been doing and whatever it would have been and then people sure. could have argued about whether or not he should have lost their job and and that would have been the debate from that point on but sure. that's not sure. what he did it was lie after lie after lie continuing to try to cover it up and it was just one of those things where this doesn't have to be that big a scandal but you've made right. it into that yeah. Yeah. How would you characterize the you, you, you just said lie after lie and that might be it. But how would you characterize the response of, of, of Ed Litton and his church and the other elders of his church? Like, it was, I guess that's it. Lie after. Lie. I mean, what, what would you say? What was the response? Well, I, I mean, you understand that the responsibilities that we have of a pastor in first and second Timothy, you know, Paul telling Timothy in second Timothy, uh, 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. And that's not what Lytton did. You go to the yeah. very beginning of First Timothy, where Paul says the aim of our charge is love that echoes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Lytton has yeah. a compromised conscience. Uh, his faith is not sincere. He, it's, it's almost like, does the guy even have an original thought in his head at all? Right. In addition to the sermon series, we came up with interviews that Lytton had done where he was making statements in the interview that were plagiarizing things from other people. It yeah. was just one thing after the next. And in, instead of the guy just admitting his own sin or even acknowledging that it was sin, the thing that he said was sin was something that didn't even really appear to be sin. 
right. you go to the uh, interview that he did with Adam Greenway at uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, he told Greenway that he did not believe that he plagiarized, but he said, here's what I believe my sin was. My sin was that I did not tell my congregation that this is what I was doing. And to me, I was going, I don't know. I mean, I've done things in sermons before where it wasn't an original thought, and I did not tell anybody that mm -hmm. this wasn't my thought. I just don't think mm -hmm. you have to I don't think you have to qualify or caveat every single thing you say as a sermon, of course, as having been from something else. I mean, there are times that I'll repeat something where I don't even remember where I got it from. Right, I know right. it's not mine, but do I really have to tell people that this didn't come from me? It came from somebody else. So to me, I'm hearing Lytton say that and I'm going, I, okay, if your heart's convicted and you think that's a sin, then sure. According to what uh, Paul sure. says in Romans 14, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Or from James, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, then that's sin. So sure, if you think that's sin, then okay. But I don't see that uh, that that Lytton in that sense had broken the law of God in any way. But with the plagiarism he did, he lied, he stole, he took things and claimed that they were his own that were not. And they were things that very plainly contradicted uh, even what's put in uh, the student syllabus in every single one of the Southern Baptist seminaries. Well, and 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 just to kind of make sure that in in case you're not aware of this of of what has all happened, and I'm gonna again, I'm gonna put the link to your article in this in this video. Um, some of what was plagiarized was like personal stories, like things that happened to me. Like I went to this <laughs> such and such a place, and I had this thought yeah. at this time, and it's like that's beyond like because I think some people hear this and they hear what he said. And they're like, well, yeah, well, that 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 could happen. Like, yeah, you know, you have a theological thought and, you know, you don't really remember where it came from. It wasn't yours, but you don't say anything. I mean, why would you like like it's not we're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about like stories of personal experiences that the that the person who originally wrote it allegedly had. Ed Litton didn't have the same exact experience. And yet he's saying he did because right. he's plagiarizing the sermon. Like it goes that crazy. It gets that weird. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Justin Peters was the first one that put up a clip of him uh, with with Greer doing a personal experience story of something that happened to him in driver's ed and then Litton with the exact same story. Yeah. But if you if you go and you listen to that clip, if you go find it, it's really kind of pathetic that yeah. Litton it, it's it's not Litton's story. It's Greer's. And when Lytton tells it, it's so much lower quality <laughs> than, than what Greer says. Uh, like Lytton has trouble with even structuring a sentence the way yeah. that he's recalling the story. And you can tell yeah. that it's almost like there's a conflict of conscience going on within him sure. as he's recalling the story that didn't ever actually happen to him. I'm going to ask you to speculate. And if you're not comfortable with that, we just we, you don't have to you don't have to say it. But like, wh wh why do you think? It was, why do you think the response was the way it was? Like, why wasn't it just, you know, hey, this is wrong. And I, I don't mean just from Ed Litton, right? Like, because obviously, you know, we, we have a tendency to want to cover and hide our own sins. I mean, that's, that's, that's a sin nature, right? But what I mean is like people who, who weren't involved in it, like the, the reaction, like he didn't really get called to the carpet by many, you know, SBC leaders. There's a few, but, but, you know, none of the seminary presidents really did it. Not, you know, no, no one really held them to account. Why do you think that is? Yeah, like you said, it, it would be speculative and I really don't know. Uh, I think yeah, something that yeah. you said there was was uh, 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 pretty key about how we just have that nature within ourselves to want to hide sin. Sure. Even when it seems like it's something as, you know, it's not like the guy is getting accused of murder. Right. He stole a sermon from somebody else. Right. Why can't he just simply say, yeah, you're right. I, I took his sermon. I liked the way Greer preached his sermon, so I'm going to preach his sermon. I, instead, he lied about it, uh, just said he only took an outline, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> very plainly, it was much, much more than an yeah. outline. And then you've got people like Greenway, when he did that interview with Lytton at Southwestern Baptist, never asked him any hard questions. It, that interview was a cover. It was a cover sure. for Lytton. It was so that he could give the explanation once to that crowd at Southwestern Baptist, and then go do the circuit and and preach at all the other Southern Baptist seminaries and not have to answer questions about the plagiarism scandal, because I've already talked about that at Southwestern Baptist. 
Yeah. Now, uh, now to Midwestern's credit and to SBTS's credit, they did not have Lytton come in, but I believe every other sermon, uh, seminary did. And, and yeah, it was just instead of calling this guy to account um, and saying, look, man, you need to come clean. You need to resign. Yeah. Instead, they ran cover for him. And why yeah. they did that? I, an 11th commandment thing. I don't know yeah. where, you know, the thing in the Southern Baptist convention is you don't call out another Southern Baptist. Um, unless he's Tom Askell or Tom unless, Buck. <laughs> that's right. Unless his name is Tom, then apparently it's okay then, for you <laughs> to say something about it. Maybe one day you'll be on that list too. <laughs> Maybe you are already. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just by association. I'm sure. That's right. That's right. The, the one I found interesting, and I'm going to ask for your thoughts on this, was Jason Allen's uh, response, because he actually did say something about about preaching other people's sermons. I think his tweet said yeah. something how it's wrong to pass off other people's sermons as your own. And this was all during the time when this was all happening, he, where he said that. Um, but why I find that interesting is so good for him. I mean, that's it's a it's a very easy position to take. In fact, it's a position that everyone in evangelical land took before this happened. So, right. <laughs> um, so good for Jason Allen, but, but Jason Allen did not name Ed Litton in it. He just right. kind of said this as if it was a general thought into the ether. And so what do you think about that? <laughs> what do you make of that? I, I, I'm yeah, again, trying to figure out what the motivation is of a person when they do that. Are they, uh, are they assuming that we already know what he's talking yeah. about? And so yeah. it's not necessary for him to have to say it. Yeah. Or is it the sort of a thing where, you know, I just yeah. want to give a general condemnation of the sin. I don't want to yeah. have to call anybody out, yeah. which to me, you know, it just kind of seems like you're volleying arrows into a crowd rather yeah. than targeting the person that said, this guy is the lawbreaker. He's the one that needs to answer for the wrong that he has done. Uh, instead we're, you know, with the, with the woke culture and everything else that's going on, it's almost like we need to accuse everybody of sin rather than single certain people out for the wickedness that they have done pointing out what that sin is and saying that this person needs to repent. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, I, I appreciate those thoughts. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, I think it's pretty clear that he was talking about this situation. So, you know, there is that, you know, maybe you shouldn't have to name the person and all of that. And, but I just found that so interesting because there was just, but, but, but there was, there was really no, you know, leader of a seminary or leader mm -hmm. in general that took a strong stance, but there actually was a few guys um, in, in known quantities in the Southern Baptist convention who did kind of come strong. And you mentioned this in your article, it, it was the elders of a certain church that included Denny Burke and, um, and Jim Hamilton. Um, yeah. That was uh, Kenwood Baptist church in Louisville. In, in Kentucky. Right. And yeah. so they came out and said that, you know, look, he, he should not only should he resign as as the president of the SBC, he should resign from his pastorate for this. This is right. this is a big deal. And um, I got to I got to take my hats off to those guys. I mean, that's it, it certainly seems like they were willing to do and say something that very few people were willing to do. Um, and and so, I mean, do, in, in the article, I think you said you agreed with what they said. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And one yeah. thing about that, too, is you you talk about Denny Burke being almost a right hand man to um, uh, Al Mohler. He has a very yeah. close connection to Mohler. And Burke is not going to do something like that without Mohler's knowing that he's going to do it and giving his approval of it. Sure. So I think that you could even give credit to Albert Moeller in that sense, that uh, that these two men from his seminary did take such a strong stance now, while Moeller did not take it upon himself to issue some kind of a statement condemning Lytton, he mm. did leave it to uh, the Q&A that had happened at SBTS where a student had asked a question about plagiarism. And then Moeller answered it directly. He did not try to dance around it. He did not try to excuse himself from having to respond to the situation. He clearly stated, this is what Lytton has done. This is why I haven't responded to it up to this point, because the two of them were in an election against one another. And Lytton won. And if Mueller came out condemning Lytton's actions, you know, just weeks after that had taken place, then it sure. was just going to look like, you know, he was he was retaliating against a political opponent uh, opponent that he lost to. And sure. so would the message have been rightly perceived uh, with that condemnation if um, uh, given the, the circumstances that had led up to it? So I get yeah. that. I understand that. 
and and the uh, um, uh, you know the position that the president took in that Q and A, which was very strongly condemning of what it was that uh, that Lytton had done. But one thing that I would like to see more of from our seminary presidents, even more so than the condemnation of the plagiarism stuff, is just how bad the teaching doctrine is in the Southern Baptist Convention right now, because that's what started the whole thing. The, what began the exposure of the plagiarism scandal was singling out the bad teaching that J.D. Greer was preaching from his pulpit and what Ed Litton was echoing from his. And then yeah. from there, we came into this plagiarism scandal. Really, they're more unqualified on the fact that they were teaching such horrible things like the Bible whispers about sexual sin or homosexuality doesn't actually send a person to hell. Those kinds of things are going to lead people into unrighteousness and probably more grave sins than even what letting them get away with lying is going to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, th that's that's such a good point, because there's so many layers to the problem here. Um but and I think you're you know, we were speaking a little bit before the interview where you said that that was kind of something you wanted to emphasize, like it, not only was there plagiarism, not only was there lying and, and, and weird covering up, just very, very bizarre covering up of, of, of what had happened. But also the things that he chose to plagiarize were horrible, <laughs> like the, like like of all things to want to plagiarize, you, you choose this. This 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 kind of snazzy little thing to say that, of course, is going to tickle ears, but it's actually not true. In oh, fact, man. In, in your article, you mentioned that the the section of verses that allegedly whisper about sexual sin do anything but whisper about sexual right. sin. It, <laughs> it mean, actually emphasizes it. Right. Exactly. And so it's just, you know, that that part of the of this of the situation wasn't really emphasized because it's not as sensational as the lying and the and this plagiarism. But it's like fundamentally, it's it's probably the most important part. Like this is what's spreading and being passed off as like, you know, awesome preaching. <laughs> and it's not. Yeah. And incidentally, Greer and Lytton were both repeating things that came from Tim Keller. From Tim Keller. Right. This is not this is not. Listen, I don't blame the SBC on this one. That That's a Presbyterian thing. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Ultimately, <laughs> leave, leave the Presbyterians in their arena. Don't pull their doctrine into <laughs> <Don't>. ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm actually Presbyterian by confession, even though I go to a Baptist church. So, um, gotcha. but yeah, no, I, I don't listen. I don't hold you guys accountable for that. That's <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, so so, yeah, let me ask you this. And this is we'll, we'll wrap up with this. And, and, and unless there's anything else you want to bring up. But what do you think we ought to learn from this, right? Like, because part of this podcast, Gabe, is I, I, I want to point out some of the things that are very criticizable in, in, in evangelical leadership and things like that. But I don't want it to be all negative. I want to I want to be able to move forward. I want to be able to give advice for for how to move forward. Like, how can we get better at handling something like this? Say there's another plagiarism scandal or a similar situation or any kind of scandal. Really, you can you can we can do better. What do you think we ought to learn from this? Well, it's Numbers 3223, where we get the statement, be sure your sin will find you out, oh, uh, and that yeah, what that... is hidden will come into the light. Jesus saying in Revelation chapter 2, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each person according to their works. And there is, there is nothing that we can say or do that is hidden from God. Let's say Ed Litton had done all of this, and it never would have been discovered, uh, and nobody ever would have known about it. God still would have known the condition of his heart. God still would have known that this man is a liar who is going to lie and deceive and cover up instead of admit and confess his sins and repent uh, and desire that reconciliation can happen. Uh, and, and the other tragic thing about all of this, you know, is, is that this comes from a litany of guys, uh, no pun intended litany, uh, but, <laughs> but a litany of guys that, uh, that are all woke and all kind of push a reconciliation among classes of people and things like that. And yet when it comes to this kind of a thing, where you've sinned and broken relationships and have lost trust, and yet you don't seek any reconciliation. How do we believe you when you say that you're laboring for uh, racial reconciliation? Sure. So there's, there's a, a need to be consistent in everything that we say and do, and understanding that God knows the, uh, the motivations of our hearts, that we not do anything out of selfish ambition and evil desire, but we humble ourselves before God, we be as David was in the psalm saying, God, if there is any hidden way in me, find it out that I may live a holy and upright life before you. 
and that this would be our way that we we desire holiness with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just what we not just what we can show to other people, mm-hmm. not just what other people will see and what they perceive about us, but knowing that holiness before God is is something that has got to happen from the heart. There may not be anybody that sees the righteousness that we must walk in and certainly not receiving any praise from man for the righteousness that we pursue, but this is what we must desire in Christ, not the praise of any man, but knowing that we are all uh, accountable before God for every thought and action that we have. Yeah, that, that's powerful. You know, I think that, and, and I even think about my own life, you know, it's, it's, you have a tendency to, when you, because, you know, th- this plagiarism thing, it started with one sermon, right? It started with one phrase or one story or something like that. And then you don't get caught. So you do it again and you do it again. And eventually you do it long enough and you think that maybe your sin won't find you out. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be able to cover this forever. And the more time that passes, the more that seems plausible. Um, uh, but it's not plausible. I mean, that, that verse that you quoted, man, it, 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 it hit me even thinking about it. It's just like, like, no, no, that, that's a, that's a sure thing. Like that, that's not, maybe it'll find you out, you know, maybe, you know, maybe eventually it'll come out. No, no, it's going to. Right. And so the, the, the you, you got to take your, your fight with sin, uh, deadly serious because it is deadly serious. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, you yeah, know, even the, tough. even the, um, instruction that we have in James chapter five, that we must confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If we're going to see reconciliation happen within a church, if we're going to see healing take place in the Southern Baptist Convention or anywhere else, then there must be that confession of sin, not desiring to cover up those things, but to recognize here's where we have sinned against God. Here is where uh, we must root this out and we must repent of it, meaning that we stop doing it. And we're going to go back to the sound words of the faith that something like the Southern Baptist Convention was founded upon from the very beginning. And we do what the Bible says uh, and, and not going after pleasing man anymore. There's so much man pleasing happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I think that that, uh, you know, just general kind of atmosphere within the SBC yeah. could have very well contributed to why Ed Litton didn't want to confess that he uh, had plagiarized why so many people were willing to cover for him, why somebody didn't want to call him out. It could just have been uh, a a whole environment and narrative of man-pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much, Pastor, for uh, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Now, you mentioned you have a podcast. Tell uh, tell everybody where they can find your podcast, what it's called. and Yeah. So if you just search for WWUTT on whatever device that you use to listen to podcasts that stands for When We Understand the Text, You'll come right into that podcast. I, I picked a name that uh, nobody else has. No one's calling their their podcast. What? So uh, <laughs> it's just it's just Bible teaching. Uh, I do New Testament on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I do Old Testament on Thursday. Right now, I'm in Ecclesiastes, and then yeah. my wife Becky joins me on Friday, and we we take questions from the listeners. So that's kind of the the gist of the podcast. Yeah, it's really good. I you know I I I catch a lot of like the shorter snippets that you do. Yeah. Um, and you know, you've got a real knack for, uh, for, for, for breaking something down into a very bite size, easy to understand chunk. Um, I, I always say that like, you know, I can always tell a smart person when, you know, they, they can say something in two minutes that takes me like 20 minutes. <laughs> so, so God bless you, man. It's really helpful. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's the videos out there too, that are just kind of the short, you know, yeah. uh, burst of Bible truth. And you can yep. find those on YouTube. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, Pastor Gabe, just a solid guy. Highly recommend that you uh, you follow his podcast and his writings and things of that nature. Very helpful stuff. Definitely not in the guild, and that is a good thing. I, I want to drive this point home, though, because, you know, this 11th commandment of, of, of refusing to criticize people that you would consider friends uh, in the faith uh, publicly— um, this is this is this is so damaging. Um, not not only to not only to the people that you're hoping to protect, um, but but also just the people in general. I think one thing that we need to consider is that Ed, Ed Litton made a mockery of himself. He made a fool of himself. There, there's no question about it. The numerous types of lies, the numerous ways he's tried to wiggle out of his wrongdoing. Then he kind of 
repented, but didn't repent of a real thing. Like just, just he made a complete fool of himself. But he didn't only make a mockery of himself. He 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 allowed Christ's name to be drugged through the mud in order to protect himself. And it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. If even one seminary president had the guts to call him out by name and to say, this has to stop. We don't, we don't, we don't allow this kind of thing in the Southern Baptist Convention. This is not tolerable. This is not something we can tolerate. If even one person had the guts to do that, I think Ed Litton would have been stopped in his tracks I don't think it's enough to 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 not you know name him, but say things against plagiarism to talk tough to a ghost. I don't think that's enough. I don't think it's enough for Al Mohler to send his errand boys, Denny Burke and Jim Hamilton, to go say what he ought to have said in the first place. I don't take that excuse as something that's valid. I just didn't want it to appear too political. Sometimes you just got to man up, and you know they're going to criticize you, but you know it's the right thing, and you do it. Anyway, I think Ed Litton could have been stopped in his tracks, but his friends were cowards. His friends were cowards, would not call him to account, and so he got emboldened to continue his march of lying and sinning, dragging Christ's name through the mud the entire way. You see, you think you're protecting yourselves, guys, but you're actually doing the opposite. You're putting yourselves in tremendous danger by refusing to critique yourselves. That's a big problem. And not only is it a big problem for yourselves, but it's a big problem for the entire uh, body of Christ. Because here's the thing, we, we read the pages of Scripture, and you know we, we get this kind of thing so often where it's like, Look at the scripture. Jesus is so gentle with the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, things of that nature. And all of that is true. He was very gentle with the people. But the example of Jesus Christ is likewise very clear that it's not just dealing with the people that Jesus did. Jesus also dealt with the leaders, the leaders that would teach correctly but, but, but did not do what they said. He's, the Pharisees I'm talking about. He, Jesus Christ says, do what they say, don't do what they do, right? And the way that Jesus uh, dealt with the Pharisees was that he would rip them. He treated them very differently than he treated the woman at the well. That's the example of Christ. He was aggressive. He didn't let them get away with hypocrisy. He directly confronted them. He would name names when necessary. He would offend them when necessary. And he went after it. And then he treated the people very differently than the way he treated the Pharisees, the people that were leading them astray. With Big Eva and Gospel Coalition, they actually invert that example of Christ because Big Eva does talk tough. They do. They, they talk tough all the time. In fact, they talk tough uh, publicly to the media, sometimes to even to the pagan media. But they invert the example of Christ. And they talk tough to the people in the pews. They will call the people in the pews all kinds of names, to the, much to the applause and the accolades of the pagans. Meanwhile, they protect each other. They protect the leadership, the awful, hypocritical, um, sinful leadership all while they're ripping apart the flock, oftentimes without cause. And so they've actually inverted the example of Christ in the way that they apply this 11th commandment. They, they, they don't talk ill of people that are in the guild, but basically everybody else is fair game. And by the way, they'll, they'll, they'll rip them apart to the pagans. I remember that one Atlantic article that I did a video about where it's basically t- talking about how pastors' jobs are so hard because of all these idiot sheep. They voted for Trump, by the way. You see, guys, here's how we move forward, in my opinion. Big Eva is a sinking ship. Big Eva is in decline. I don't think there's really any question about that. Um, and and w- w- there's going to be new institutions and new you know, law groups or whatever it is, conference circuits and things like that. But we need to strike the 11th commandment from our memory at all, uh, at all costs. Because the reality is that you should seek out friends that will get your back and they'll defend you in the, in, when, when you need to be defended. But when you need to be rebuked, when you need to be called to account for sins that you've committed, you need to find yourself friends that are not afraid to do that. 
that will do that. Those are those are actual friends, right? Those are actual friends who will prevent you at all costs from making a fool of yourself the way Ed Litton made a fool of himself with this plagiarism scandal. They will stop you in your tracks. They will put the fear of God in you. Those are the kinds of friends that we need. This 11th commandment is so antithetical to friendship. It's so antithetical to unity. It's antithetical to the truth. And so we need to strike it from our memories as if it was never a thing. This is absolutely harmful to the body of Christ. It's harmful to the people that it aims to protect. And I think this Ed Litton scandal is one of the clearest examples I have of something like this. I don't want to end, you know, speaking directly to some of my Gospel Coalition and Big Eva fans that I know I have it on good authority that a lot of you guys have listened to the first podcast episode and probably will listen to this one as well. Look, you can consider me your enemy if you want because I've criticized you and things like that. And, and as I said, you know, this is this is why I've been kind of, you know, blackballed from uh, from Big Eva circles because I dared to criticize some of the teaching. Um, you can consider me your enemy because I tell you the truth. That's up to you. I can't force you to change your mind on that. But but the reality is though that if you've got your if you've gathered unto yourself friends and you know coworkers and you know even underlings that won't call you to account when you've done something wrong, when you've taught something wrong, when you've when you've treated people incorrectly, if you've got friends that you've gathered to yourselves that are unwilling to call you out when you do something as insane as plagiarize entire sermon series and then lie about it consistently, if you've gathered to yourself a group of people that are unwilling to do that, whether it's guild rules or whatever the reason, you've gathered people together that, sure, they, they, they'll flatter you, but they actually don't care about your soul. They actually don't care about you. So consider me an enemy if you want, but the reality is that I'm telling you the truth. And if you've got people around you that won't tell you the truth due to some guild rules or whatever it is, then those people are actually your true enemies. Those people don't love you. In fact, they're using you. They're using you when they won't tell you the truth and confront you. And so I'm glad you're watching. I hope you continue to watch because I will hold that mirror up to your face as long as I have to in order to get you to wake up. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Don't forget to join us next time on the rise and fall of Gospel Coalition. Mm -hmm.